It was without a doubt a holy night. It was a night unlike any other night in the history of the world. Somehow, some way, the creator of the universe was born. Over the past week, we've been taking a closer look at the miracle of the incarnation, the miracle of Jesus's birth. And once again, we're going to open God's word together over the next few minutes and discover that miracle for ourselves once again. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus name. And we have just one request tonight. But it's a big request. Heavenly Father, we want to see the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to behold his glory. We want to experience the miracle of Christmas as if for the first time. Open our ears so we can hear what you have to teach us in your word. Open our eyes, especially the eyes of our hearts, so that we can behold the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, please open your Bibles to the first and third books in the New Testament. We'll be doing a little bit of flipping around this evening. Uh, We're going to be in two books of the New Testament. We're going to be in Luke and we're going to be in Matthew. So we're going to start in Luke chapter one and then we're going to flip back to Matthew chapter one. And then we'll flip one more time back to Luke chapter two. So it's going to go Luke one, Matthew one, Luke two. You with me? All right. Well, we're going to start in Luke chapter one, beginning in verse 26. I encourage you to have your Bibles there in hand and follow along as I read. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, You who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Now, Matthew chapter one, beginning in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream 
and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Finally, Luke chapter two, beginning in verse one. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. All who heard it were amazed. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. May God bless us as we read and study his word and seek his glory tonight. Amen. Amen. Well, when we think about it, when we really, really think about it, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the birth of Jesus Christ just boggles our minds, doesn't it? By the time we get to verse 26 of Luke chapter 1, Luke has already described uh, in detail how the angel Gabriel had appeared to a priest by the name of Zechariah. He was there offering up incense inside the temple in Jerusalem and an angel of the Lord appeared to him. And that angel told him that his wife was going to have a baby boy. Now, this was remarkable because Zechariah was an old dude. He was probably over 70 years old. His wife, Elizabeth, was old as well. She was past the age of having kids. And even when she was younger, she still hadn't been able to have kids because she had been barren all her life. And yet this angel had come to Zechariah and said, you will have a son. You are to name him John. And according to verse 17 there in Luke chapter one, he said this boy, John, would make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So when we get to verse 26, that very first verse I read for you a few minutes ago, as we get to verse 26 in Luke chapter one, Luke writes the words in the sixth month. So he's referring to the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, six months into the miracle leading up to John the Baptist's birth. We get to verses 26 and 27. I want you to follow along in your Bibles as we look at these verses a little closer. Starting in verse 26, it says, In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So Gabriel is, is one of only three angels mentioned by name in the Bible. You've got three angels named Gabriel, the archangel Michael, 
and Lucifer, the name of Satan, when he was being a good boy up in heaven before he was banished from heaven and became Satan. And so those are the only three angels mentioned by name in Scripture. And here, Gabriel, a messenger from God, is mentioned. Now, remember, that's what that word angel means. That word angel means a messenger. So Gabriel didn't show up to speak to Mary to deliver his own message. He showed up to deliver a message from God. God wanted to say something very important to Mary. And he sent his angel Gabriel to deliver that message. It was a message to a teenage girl. Her name is Mary. And it's strange because in those days, uh, you notice in this passage, she's described as a virgin. In those days, a virgin in Israel was typically not older than 14 years old. So we're talking about the angel Gabriel going to a girl that was in all likelihood 13 or 14 years old. And so think about it. The creator of the universe is going to be born to a junior higher, an eighth grader. That's unreal. And she wasn't even a famous or popular eighth grade girl. She was basically insignificant. She was a nobody. And so was her fiancé, Joseph. He was just a run-of-the-mill tradesman. He was just a carpenter. He didn't stand out in a crowd. Even in his podunk little town of Nazareth, he didn't really stand out. In Jesus' day... Israel was divided into three regions. So in the south, we had Judea. That's where the capital city of Jerusalem was. In the middle of Israel was Samaria. And then the region in the north was Galilee. That was kind of the afterthought region. Guess where Nazareth was located? Yep, right there in Galilee. The afterthought region. Galilee had some nice towns, but it wasn't where the action was. It wasn't where big things happened. It wasn't where people dreamed of vacationing. It was kind of like uh, the high desert of first century Israel. It really was. When people from out of state, think about it. When people from out of state uh, travel to Southern California, uh, you don't very often uh, hear of of parents having a sit-down conversation with their kids and saying, hey guys, uh, we are going to have a week-long vacation in Barstow. Huh? Huh? Can can you see it, kids? We're going to have a vacation. Not very often do do parents gather their kids together on Christmas Eve or on Christmas Day and say, kids, we've been saving up. We've been scrimping and saving. And we are next summer going to take the best vacation ever. We're going to spend an entire week in Oro Grande. Yeah? Yeah? You guys seeing it? That doesn't happen, does it? No, when people from out of state want a vacation in Southern California, they're going to San Diego or they're going to L.A. and Hollywood or they're going to Orange County because they want to go to the beaches and go to Disneyland. Normally, people don't dream of going to Oro Grande or Barstow. It was kind of that way with with that region of Galilee in Jesus's day. So in Jerusalem, there were exciting things going on. There in Judea, you had the capital city of Jerusalem, you had Jericho, you had Bethlehem, that city where King David had been born and raised. There were lots of good things going on in Judea, but not much going on in Galilee. Galilee had Cana and Tiberias and Bethsaida. Boring. No one wanted to go to Galilee. And guess what one of the most boring towns in Galilee was? It's that town of Nazareth. 
Nazareth was a piddly little town. Historians guess there were no more than 2,000 residents in Mary and Joseph's day. Nazareth was to Galilee what Daggett is to the high desert. You know what? We don't wish ill will on Daggett, but honestly, most people couldn't care less about Daggett. It was kind of that way with Nazareth. People really didn't care about that little town. Yet according to the angel Gabriel, in just a matter of months, the king of the Jews would be born to this insignificant teenage girl from Nazareth who was engaged to an insignificant young man from Nazareth. And if you had asked anyone outside their hometown who Mary and Joseph were, uh, they would have said, Mary who? Uh, Joseph who? And so you give a few more specifics. Well, Mary of Nazareth and uh, Joseph of Nazareth and Most people in Israel would have said, you know what? I don't know anyone from Nazareth and I really don't want to. So, no, I don't know any Mary or Joseph from Nazareth. The only thing that Mary and Joseph seem to have had going for them as far as being candidates to be the king of the Jews parents is that Joseph was a descendant of King David. So at least he had an ancestor who was a somebody. But Joseph himself, he was a nobody. Mary, insignificant. Take another look with me at this conversation between Mary and this angel Gabriel. Gabriel says to Mary in verse 28, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Notice Mary's reaction in verse 29. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Now, Mary's floored. She knows she's insignificant. (laughs) She knows she's a nobody. She knows she lives in a podunk little town in a region that most people in Israel didn't care much about. And so this angel gives her this greeting. And so after she finishes rubbing her eyes to make sure she's not having a hallucination, she opens her eyes and the angel's still there. So she realizes she's not hallucinating, but she can't wrap her mind around what this angel is telling her. The angel tells her that even though she's a virgin, she's going to give birth to a son who she is supposed to name Jesus. That name Jesus means the Lord saves. It's the same name in Hebrew as the name Joshua means the Lord saves. The angel tells her that her son will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And if that's not already too much to process, chew on this. God will give him the throne of King David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. If at that point, Gabriel had asked Mary, "Okay, Mary, do you have any questions? She might have said, yeah, uh, angel, just one. Huh? (laughs) She's blown away. She can't possibly wrap her mind around what this angel is telling her. But she does have the presence of mind to ask one question. It's there in verse 14. She probably had a 100 questions, but the one she did choose was a good one to ask. How will this be since I am a virgin? To which the angel responded, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. All these incredible revelations began swimming in Mary's head. Somehow, some way, the Holy Spirit was going to fertilize an egg inside her womb without a man ever touching her. How does that even work? 
somehow, some way, the child in her womb would be the son of God and the eternal king of Israel. Huh? Uh, somehow, some way, this girl who had been created by God just about 14 years earlier inside her mother's womb was going to give birth to the creator of the universe who would come from her own womb. You just can't understand that kind of craziness, can you? It's just unfathomable. She couldn't wrap her mind around it. No wonder we read in Luke chapter 2, verse 19, that as Jesus was lying there in the manger, just hours after He had been born, it says Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. These are some really good questions, aren't they? These are some great questions for Mary. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Tell you what, let's look at some of these questions from this song we just listened to and and, and I'll answer these questions for us. Did, Did she know that her baby boy would one day walk on water? No, she didn't. Mary, did you know that Your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? No, she didn't know that either. Mary, did you know that your baby boy will give sight to a blind man? Uh Uh-uh. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would calm a storm with his hand? Nope, she didn't know that either. Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod and when you kissed your little baby, you kissed the face of God? She definitely didn't know that. Mary, did you know the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the dead will live again? Did you know the lame will leap, the dumb will speak the praises of the Lamb? Nope, she didn't know that. Did you know that your baby boy was heaven's perfect Lamb and that sleeping child you're holding is the great I Am? She definitely didn't know that either. Mary didn't know any of this stuff. All of this stuff was beyond her ability to understand. She didn't understand exactly how God made her pregnant while she was still a virgin. She didn't understand how her baby boy could be the son of the Most High God. She didn't know how her son could be given the throne of King David and end up ruling forever. She couldn't wrap her head around any of it. She couldn't. But I believe one of the reasons why God chose her to be Jesus' mother is because even though she couldn't understand it, She quickly and fully obeyed every command of God anyway. She was obedient regardless of the fact that it was way over her head. In his best-selling book, God Came Near, Max Lucado has this wonderful little chapter that he titles, 25 Questions for Mary. He has 25 questions for Mary as she looks back on raising Jesus when he was in her home before he started his ministry years. And I want to just share with you a few of those questions that Max Lucado has that he would love to ask Mary. What was it like watching Jesus pray? That's a pretty good question, isn't it? Did you ever feel awkward teaching him how he created the world? (laughs) When he saw a lamb being led to the slaughter, did he act differently? Did you ever see him with a a distant look on his face as if he were listening to someone you couldn't hear? How did he act at funerals? Did the thought ever occur to you that the God to whom you were praying was asleep under your own roof? 
Did you ever try to count the stars with him and succeed? How did he act when he got his first haircut? Did he ever have to ask a question about Scripture? Uh, Did his other brothers and sisters understand what was happening? And then probably my favorite question of all. Did you ever think that's God eating my soup? (laughs) Some pretty good questions for Mary. Even with the gift of hindsight, the incarnation of Jesus Christ boggles our minds. So can you imagine how much more it boggled the minds of Mary and Joseph? From all we read in the New Testament about Mary and Joseph, it seems clear that they were not super saints. They weren't sinless. They weren't extremely talented or popular. There's no indication that they had genius IQs. They were just humble believers and followers of God who were willing to obey God no matter what. You and I would have never heard of Mary and Joseph of Nazareth if God hadn't chosen them. Before God sent his angel Gabriel to speak to Mary, she was living in obscurity. Before God sent an angel to speak to Joseph in a dream, he was living in obscurity. And chances are, if God hadn't chosen them, they would have died in obscurity. As we consider the role Mary and Joseph played in the miracle of Jesus' birth, I think there's some really important lessons that we can learn about God. And I want to just share three with three of them with you this evening. Lesson number one. This is a good one. God specializes in the impossible. So when God says he's going to do something that seems impossible, don't doubt him. He can do it for nothing is impossible with God. Say that with me. Nothing is impossible with God. One more time. Nothing is impossible with God. Can I get an amen? Nothing is impossible with God. It's one of the most powerful verses in the Christmas story there in Luke 137. Mary just couldn't fathom how a virgin could have a baby, let alone a baby who would be called the son of God. And Gabriel pointed to Mary's relative Elizabeth, letting her know that Elizabeth, even though she was too old to have children, even though she had never been able to bear children, was already in her six month of pregnancy. And God was able to do this in her relative Elizabeth. And God would be able to do something miraculous in her own womb because nothing is impossible with God. Amen. Nothing. Lesson number two. The world doesn't get to choose who is significant. Some of you need to hear this tonight. The world doesn't get to choose. God does. Therefore, just like Mary and Joseph God will give you significant work to do if you will humbly trust Him, love Him, and obey Him. The world looked at Mary and Joseph and called them insignificant. They were insignificant people from an insignificant town. But evidently, God didn't get the memo. He didn't get the memo. He doesn't choose those who are significant in the eyes of the world. He chooses those who He desires to choose. And he especially loves to choose those who are humble and open to whatever God wants to call them to do. You will never be in. You will never be significant on your own. And you will never be significant because the world tells you you're significant. You will only be significant if God makes you significant. 
And if you want him to make you significant, remember that Christianity boils down to these three things. Trust him, love him, and humbly obey him. It boils down to that. And guess what? You are very significant to God. And he will choose you to do some amazing things to build Christ's kingdom and give him glory. It doesn't matter if you come from an insignificant family. It doesn't matter if you come from an insignificant town, a town like, oh, I don't know, Victorville or Atlanta or Hesperia or Apple Valley or wherever else you live that everyone else in the world might look down upon. It doesn't matter what the world thinks of your significance. If God chooses you and gives you significance, then you are significant to God and he will use you to do significant things. Finally, lesson number three. Tonight, God wants us to do what Mary did, to treasure up all these things and ponder them in our hearts, because Christmas is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Amen. Every year, Christmas Day comes and goes, and millions of Americans who call themselves Christians get so caught up in making travel plans and opening the gifts and making Christmas dinner that they hardly give Jesus a second thought. But Christmas is all about Jesus. Would you say that with me? Christmas is all about Jesus. One more time. Christmas is all about Jesus. If you're watching this service with someone in your family next to you, tell them Christmas is all about Jesus. And Jesus' birth is one of the greatest miracles in the history of the world. So don't miss this golden opportunity to spend some time thinking about Jesus' incarnation. Get together with your family and spend some time talking about the miracle of Jesus' birth. And spend some time in prayer thanking Jesus for coming to earth to live and also to die. This past Sunday is... We were talking about the miracle of Jesus' incarnation. I mentioned to you that the number one reason Jesus came to earth, the number one reason he took on flesh and, and had a human body was so that he could die. That was the number one reason. Jesus had to have a face so that he could be beaten and spat upon. Jesus had to have a back so that it could be whipped. Jesus had to have a head so that a crown of thorns could be shoved upon it. Jesus had to have hands and feet that could be nailed to a cross. Jesus had to have a side that could be pierced. Jesus had to have a full human body filled with blood so that his blood could be shed because the word of God makes it clear without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Jesus took on flesh. The incarnation took place because Jesus was born to die. So make no mistake about it. The greatest miracle of the incarnation is that the Son of God was born to die so that you and I could live. That's the grace and the truth that we celebrate this Christmas, and it's too wonderful to keep to ourselves. It's too wonderful to keep to ourselves. So don't just think about it, talk about it with others in your family. Don't just think about it. Say some prayers together with your family and thank Jesus Christ for what he did. 
when he came to earth to live and to die for you. Oh, spend some time this evening with your family talking about Jesus and his birth and praying together, thanking him together. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, we praise you and thank you for coming to earth on Christmas and living those 33 years, not sinning a single time, fulfilling every single purpose for which you came, especially your number one purpose to lay down your life as a ransom for many. Thank you, Jesus, for living for me. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. And we pray, O oh God, that we would just behold the glory of Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God, all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, humbling Himself and being placed in the womb of a teenage girl and having a manger as His first crib. Oh, Lord Jesus, we are in awe of what You did for us on that first Christmas. We love You. We praise You. We worship You. And we cannot help but share that great miracle with others. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. If you're watching our gospel, excuse me, our, our message tonight, if you're watching this broadcast, if you're joining us for Christmas Eve, we don't want anyone to walk away from this Christmas Eve service without knowing clearly what Jesus Christ came to do for you. You see, God created us to be with Him. He created you, He created me to be in a relationship with Him. But there's a problem. The first man and woman, Adam and Eve, sinned. And that sin separated them from God. And it separates us from God. It's kind of like the Grand Canyon. We're on one side, God's on the other side. And sin has created this massive chasm that you and I can't cross. There is no way that we can get to God's side with our good works. There's no way we can get to God's side with our religion. We frankly were in a hopeless situation. We could not be forgiven by God. He had to punish our sin. We could not be in a relationship with God. We couldn't make it to heaven. But God loved us so much that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ did for us what we could never do for ourselves. Jesus Christ through the cross, made a bridge from our side to God's side. His sacrifice on the cross was made so that you wouldn't have to die. Jesus died so that you could live. He spilled His blood so you wouldn't have to shed your blood. He went through hell on earth so you don't have to go through hell in eternity. And in order to get from your side to God's side, you have to go through Jesus. There's no other way. And so we like at Impact to share the ABCs of making a decision to get right with God through Jesus. A, you have to admit that you are a sinner. B, you have to believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and He's your only way to be forgiven, your only way to have a relationship with God, your only way to make it to heaven someday. And C, choose to put Jesus Christ in the driver's seat of your life beginning today. It's not just about believing up here that Jesus died on the cross. You have to choose to follow Him with your life. And as you do, whether you die tomorrow, next year, 
or 50 years from now, whenever that time comes, Jesus Christ will make sure you go straight to heaven because he has made the way. If you made that decision today, I encourage you to reach out to one of our prayer counselors. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you tonight about how you can begin this walk of following Jesus Christ and get baptized as soon as you can. Amen. Love for you to join us for communion. It's time to get your bread and your juice ready. What we've been talking about this week has been the first coming of Jesus Christ. It's often called, oftentimes called the Advent, the coming of Jesus. Jesus came and he lived and he died. And before he went to the cross, he had one last meal with his disciples. And he said, this is my body broken for you. That's what the bread represents. He said, this is my blood poured out for you. That's what the juice or the wine represents. Jesus' blood. And he says, when you get together as my followers, I want you to take of the bread and the juice to remember me. And so Jesus wants us to remember his first coming. But the Bible makes it clear that Jesus is going to come again someday. And when he comes again, he is going to rule. Remember what Gabriel said to Mary when the Gabriel came and spoke to her and let her know that she was going to give birth to Christ. Gabriel made it clear that Jesus Christ would sit on King David's throne and his rule would be eternal. Jesus Christ will come back a second time one day and he will reign forevermore. So as you take the bread and the juice over the next few moments, we're going to be having a song led by Hunter Mariano, a friend of our church who helped to lead worship at our church a few weeks ago. And while he was here, I said, hey, Hunter, would you record a Christmas song for us? And this is the one he recorded. He shall reign forevermore. So as you listen to the words of this song, I encourage you to take of the bread and the juice, remembering Jesus' first coming. And remember that he said he's coming back someday. And when he does, he will reign forevermore.